No, why don't you drive and I'll just look at you or... Before we get started this morning, I um, forgot to mention for anyone who is looking to do games and other things, um, these are up here. Um, please come on up and grab them. Well, good morning, everyone. If I'm in the right place at the right time, um, sounds a little like in a cave up here, Bruce. You can work on that. Um, I'm in the right place and the right time. We are in week two of the Advent series. Right. Last week, um, Pastor Rob kicked things off with a great message about anticipation. Right. And one of the things I learned from Pastor Rob last week is that it was very, very important at this time of the season that I own an exacto knife. Right, didn't that? That's important, right? Yeah, he also told us about how important it was to remember the reason for the season, right? Christ coming to live among us, Emmanuel. And he also touched on that challenge that we face when the gifts we receive don't quite measure up or look anything like those that we give others or receive from others. And that's sort of where we're going to kick this message off this morning. We're going to take a look at that with this video.
miracle of Christmas in a nutshell is that God showed up. Right? He showed up and He arrived from heaven to earth in human form, clothed in flesh as a tiny, helpless baby. And the story of Christmas is full of surprises. It's exciting, right? And rightfully so. Because you see, it's about the incarnation of Christ. And that very thought causes some of us to be amazed. And it causes others of us to question its significance. Okay? You know, for me, Christmas has always been a holiday best remembered by bright lights, right? Assorted sounds, certain smells, and there's always symbols of Christmas that become very important to us. And as we continue to work our way around the Advent wreath this morning, we're going to take a look at a few of those symbols. And the first one we're going to look at is the angel. You see, the Christmas story is absolutely impossible to tell without talking about angels. They're everywhere. And when Dr. Luke wrote his gospel, it only took him 11 verses. And we have our first angel. And he appears to Zechariah. And Zechariah's in the sanctuary. And this angel appears standing next to the incense altar. And Scripture tells us that while Zechariah was in the sanctuary and the angel appeared to him, the angel said, God has heard your prayer. And your wife Elizabeth will soon be with child. She will give birth to a son. And you will name him John. Now, the thing you need to realize, and most of you probably do, is given Zechariah's age, it was kind of odd that the angel would say, God heard your prayer, because he hadn't probably prayed that prayer in a very long time. And because of that, Zechariah questioned what the angel told him. Well, listen to what the angel said in response to Zechariah's unbelief. He said, I stand in the very presence of God. It is he who sent me to bring this good news. And my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. See, the angel, <clears throat> excuse me, the angel spoke with confidence in the word that he was given 
from God to bring to Zechariah. The angel had confidence that God would answer that prayer at the proper time. But you see, we don't get to determine when the proper time is, do we? When we pray, it's God and God alone who determines the proper time. And sometimes it's hard for us to accept that. You know, Paul said in Philippians 4 6, pray about everything, right? But he said, Make your requests known to God. He did not say, make your demands known to God. And sometimes we confuse those two things. But the reality is there's a huge difference. Because see, when you make a request, you do that with humility and thanksgiving. But demands look completely different. Demands dethrone God. You see, they turn God into the genie in the bottle or the puppet on the string. So it's important that we pray, but we need to be careful how. We go about that, right? Because you see, it's not only up to God to determine the proper time to answer your prayer. It's also up to God to determine how He will answer our prayer. And that becomes difficult too. Because you see, so many times when He answers, He doesn't answer according to our expectations. And when that happens, my prayer for you is that you will respond more like Mary than Zechariah. See, in Luke 1, verse 26, we're told that in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth with a message for a young engaged bride-to-be. A message even more bizarre and even more outlandish than the announcement he delivered to our Zoomer friend, Zechariah. Right? He tells Mary she's been chosen by God to be the vessel through whom the Messiah will come. And as confused as Mary is about what the angel Gabriel is telling her, and even with her lack of understanding of how it would even be possible, she humbly submits And she says, 
I am the Lord's servant. How about you this morning? Are you the Lord's servant? See, she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything that you have said about me come true. That's a pretty bold statement for Mary to make, isn't it? Because you see, for that to happen, there are some serious consequences for her life. She's facing death because of that. Pregnancy outside of marriage was a huge problem for Mary. Potentially, she could be taken out in stone. And then there's Joseph, her fiancé. Right? He's a descendant of King David, and he has his own angelic visitation in the midst of trying to figure out what he is going to do with his mysteriously pregnant wife-to-be. And his plan is to dissolve this relationship quietly until the angel of the Lord shows up. The angel appears to Joseph in a dream. And you know, I had this vision. It's like, yo, Joseph! Right? Wings spread. And he says to Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She will have a son. And you, Joseph, will name him. Jesus. And you see, to Joseph's credit, he didn't procrastinate. No, he didn't write his dream down in his journal. And he didn't wait for the following week to meet with his prayer partners and share the dream with them and try to get their input to see whether or not confirmation would come of whether or not the angel in the dream was actually speaking on behalf of God. And whether this was the intent of God for his life. He didn't go to his pastor and the elders and ask them to confirm what the angel had said. He simply responded in obedience did exactly what God's messenger told him to do. Now understand, I'm not saying you should never go to your pastor and your elders. I'm not saying that you shouldn't seek confirmation when you feel that God's spoken to you. But who would agree with me that if an angel shows up and speaks directly to you, we should probably respond like Joseph and Mary, right? You don't need the confirmation from your pastor when that happens. It's pretty clear, right?
You see, angels are messengers from the throne room of God. That's what we see in the Christmas story. And when they show up, they seem to always introduce themselves in the same way. Take a look. Angels in the Bible almost always start out conversations with people in the same way. Fear not. Don't be afraid. Wait, I have good news. As awesome creatures of light sent with messages from the very lips of God, people occasionally have to be reminded not to worship them. Angels are warriors and musicians and supernatural servants of the Lord. But most of all, they are messengers, especially in the story of Christmas. And the news they delivered was somehow bigger even than these beings bringing it to earth. A Savior has been born. He is the Messiah. Glory to God in heaven, peace on earth to all those he is pleased with. It's the message God's servants still sing as we wait for the return of the King. As we continue in the Christmas story in Luke 2, Scripture tells us that Mary had just given birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger. And then we're introduced to these guys. If someone else were writing the story of Christmas, the shepherds may have been included for comic relief. A few rough blue-collar guys to anchor the fantastic plot in reality. But God honors shepherds. King David was a shepherd, and the promised Messiah, born that night not far away, was the greatest shepherd of all. These guys were no joke to the angels who brought the birth <coughs> announcement. Yes, the shepherds were scared when the darkness exploded in light all around them. Who wouldn't be? But they heard the message, and they believed it. The Messiah has come. After they found the baby, they were the first to tell the story of Christmas. The one we're still telling today.
2, verse 8 says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. See, today we see shepherds, and the shepherd's crook is that staff that they're holding. We see it in a positive light. We see it as a sign for Jesus himself. It's a reminder that he is the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And good shepherds do one and only one thing. They stay focused on their flock. And in John 10, Jesus goes on to describe other attributes of what it means to be a good shepherd. He says a good shepherd is sacrificial. He's willing to ignore his own needs in order to meet the needs of his sheep. Over and over again, he talks about the good shepherd who gives his own life for his sheep. He also tells us a good shepherd is very much personally, if not intimately, connected to his sheep. So much so that he knows them by name. And when he speaks, they respond to the sound of his voice. You see, in biblical times, it was very common at the end of the day to bring multiple herds of sheep into the sheepfold for the evening. And the next day, the shepherds would come one by one and they would begin to call out to their sheep. And their sheep out of that mass would hear their shepherd's voice and begin to follow him out of the sheepfold. You see, a good shepherd shows great concern for their sheep. They provide for them in terms of nourishment and rest. They guide them by leading the way. They're intimately involved with their flock. And a good shepherd is willing to sacrifice his own comfort, even his own life, for the the sake of the sheep. And you know, I am so grateful for the shepherds God has appointed and anointed lead Life Quest Community Church. You know, Pastor Rob, you and Terry rock. Really. You guys rock. And with the help of Gina this morning, I have something that I want to give to you. Right? I want to thank you for being the leader I want you to know how grateful I am that you are not afraid to mix your sheep in with the sheep from other places. That's huge. That's a huge thing. I want to thank you for being a risk taker. 
for being willing to minister in the spirit of cooperation instead of the spirit of isolation. Because you see, because of you, Life Quest Community Church is a place where we can find fertile ground, where we can deepen our relationship with the Lord, use our gifts to serve each other in our community in the name of Jesus, and grow in our faith. And you and Terry are leaders that we can trust and follow and feel completely comfortable in inviting others to join us on this journey through life. Because you see, I know that despite whatever challenges lie ahead, the path that you have us on will provide us the opportunity to be overcomers. It will provide us the opportunity to use our giftings and our talents to grow the kingdom of God. And most importantly, the path that we're on will lead us all closer to Christ. So we have a little something for you guys this morning. Because you know, you're very good at showing your appreciation for all of us who serve in various capacities here. This is our opportunity as a congregation to thank you with a small gift. We have a a throw for you, a comforter, large enough for two. And we had embroidered on the corner... It says, A Shepherd's Heart, LifeQuest Community Church, 2013, Pastor Rob and Terry. Yeah, yeah. And above and below, there are four things that a good shepherd does. He guides, provides, nurtures, and protects. And for that, we thank you. The best presents are the ones you don't expect. So given Christ's description of a shepherd and his willingness to identify with them, it might surprise you a bit that shepherds in Christ's day We're on the same social level as tax collectors and dung sweepers. They were second-class citizens. They had no civil rights. They could not even testify in court. So, why did God choose shepherds to be the recipient of the greatest birth announcement we've ever known. Why not priests? Why not kings? What makes a shepherd the best person 
to receive that need. That answer to that question might just be found in the history of Bethlehem. In some of the best places become more than just backdrops for the action. They become characters themselves. Unyielding mountains, unpredictable seas, and in the story of Christmas, a tiny town that birthed Israel's greatest king and the king who was yet to reign. David's birthplace was so insignificant that it could easily have been lost to history, swallowed up by Jerusalem just five miles away. But God made a promise to this little town through Micah, the prophet. Bethlehem, God said, you are smaller than most of the towns in Judah, but from you will come for me a ruler over Israel. So little Bethlehem waited, ready for the birth of her second king, the promised one of God. Through the prophet Micah, God speaks and tells us that Bethlehem will be the birthplace of his son. But also in Micah, he's even more specific than that. He tells us of the place in Bethlehem where Christ will be born. It was called Migdal Ader. Migdal Ader means tower of the flock. And at the base of this tower there was a birthing cave. And in that cave, the sheep that would be used in the temple as Passover lambs were born. And as part of the birthing process, the shepherds would take them and wrap them in cloth and put them in the manger to help ensure that they did were free of defect and suitable for the temple. So with that in mind, let's jump back to the Christmas story in Luke 2. See, Luke 2.12, the angel said, this will be a sign to you You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. You ever wonder why the angel didn't need to tell them where to go? In all of Bethlehem, with all the mangers, with all the stalls, with all the places to feed sheep and animals, They were able to go and they knew exactly which manger 
to go and look for him. You see, that was a sign to the nation of Israel that their Messiah had come. And it was given to those among them who would understand what the angel told them. But it's not the only sign that God used to inform the world that His Son was arriving. You see, God who created the stars and calls them by name added another one to the night sky in His perfect timing. And that star was noticed by a group of wise men from the east. They called it the Star of Bethlehem. It caught the attention of these non-Jewish wise men. Magi, right? Persian astrologers. Some interpretations call them royal magicians. And we don't know much about them, but we know that when they saw the star, they left their homeland and they followed the star to Jerusalem. For guys, you will be relieved to know that even these wise men had to stop and ask for directions. Right? They go to King Herod and they say, Where? is the newborn king of the Jews. And the religious leaders and the teachers serving Herod quickly responded because they knew Bethlehem. And Scripture tells us they followed the star to Bethlehem. And when they got there, it led them to the child and his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and they gave him three things, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Standard gifts to honor a king. Gold representing his kingship, frankincense his priestly role, and myrrh was a declaration of his sacrificial death and embalming. The wise men came in search of a king, and when they found him, they worshipped him. The Jews were looking for a Messiah. And they had quite a different response. When the shepherds told them about all that they had experienced, about the angelic proclamation, the sign that they had been given, the best that Scripture can do to explain the response of the Jewish nation is to say that they were amazed. That's it. They were just simply amazed. You see, the Jews wanted a sign from God, and the one that He gave them didn't look anything like what they had expected. And many are amazed by the Christmas story today. Few seem to understand its significance for their lives how the Christmas story plays out in your life seems to have a lot to do with what you see when you look in the manger.
Well, I opened up my Bible the other day and made my way down to the manger just to see what I could see. Wrapped up in that feeding trough was the Savior of the world. There he was in that cold, damp place with no place to lay his head. You see, the fox had a hole and a bird had a nest, but the Son of Man had no place to lay his head. No, the only place he ever had to lay his head was on the cross just after he declared, It is finished. And what had been finished on that cross was only just beginning right there in that very manger. You see, the Bible says that this was Emmanuel, God with us. That means God in the valley and God on the mountaintop, God in the cancer ward, God on the homeless street, God in the midst of the chains of addiction, God when I'm mourning death. God, when I'm losing my mind, God, when my health is failing, God, when the world's economy is crashing in, and God, in the midst of war, God, who brings peace, goodwill, and salvation to every man, woman, and child. Hey, that's what I saw down there in that manger. God, the Almighty Himself, Moving into the neighborhood and taking up residence. Behold the new neighbor. But more than that, behold the king of the block. Can't no homeowners association contain him or restrict him. And look, here comes the Holy Spirit. And he's driving the heavenly freight truck. Cause Jesus is moving in the midst of our despair to save the day. With flames a-blazing and wind at his sail, all government will rest on his shoulder. He'll provide counsel for the broken and strength for the weak. He won't get tired and he won't grow weary because he is everlasting. He'll reign in peace forever and ever. And there won't be no evil in existence who can overthrow him. He'll reign on his throne and deal with everybody the right way. And best of all, I've said best of all, the last thing they brought off that truck was the cross of Jesus. You know what that means? That means he's coming to wipe the slate clean and make us whole again. Though we were next deep in our stubborn, rebellious ways, though we charted our course on our own that left us destitute and miserable, we couldn't go to bed without shame. We couldn't get up without guilt. But in one fell swoop, that baby's gonna grow up and offer himself up for you and I. And why? Because of his great love. Hey, that's what I saw in the manger this day. A new day, a better day and a better way. Hope to the hopeless, freedom to the prisoner, everlasting life to the dying and salvation for mankind. Good glory, we'll never be the same. I said we'll never be the same. Oh, oh, oh my, yes, that's what I saw in the manger. Yes, that's what I saw in the manger. Ha, 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 ha.
Jewish nation missed Him then. And so many miss Him even today. Yet all it takes to see the majesty of Christ is a little bit of faith. And the good news is faith is a gift from God. Without faith it's impossible to see God. To know God, to understand the things of God. You see, without faith, you can watch a thousand Christmas plays and hear another hundred sermons and never, ever understand or experience the heart change that truly knowing Christ provides you. Jesus said that faith the side of the the size of a mustard seed could move mountains. What are the mountains in your life this morning? What do they look like? Because you see, Jesus invites each and every one of us to come to the manger. The question is, What are you going to see when you get there? No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your life looks like, no matter what your doubts are, no matter. The miracle of Christmas is available to you. Each and every one of you. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your Son. And thank you for your gift of salvation. Lord, thank you for your tremendous love. Love that not only compelled you to come and live among us but a love that compelled you to give your life as a ransom to pay a debt we could not pay. Lord, you are our redeemer, our provider, our protector, the lover of our souls. And for those truths and so many more, we give thanks to you this morning because we are forever grateful. God, please don't use, let us leave here this morning simply amazed. Please help us to leave here this morning transformed by your presence. P-R-E-S-E-N-C-E. Your presence, God. The greatest gift of all. And everyone said, Amen. Amen, amen. God bless you. You go, we go our separate ways this week. May the Spirit of the living God walk with you. May He be the filter over your eyes and your ears. And may the words 
that come from your mouth glorify him. Amen.